Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryan Kramer, and I have the great privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Montrose Bible Church. And today marks the final week of our Advent celebration. We have spent our time of study in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, looking to Christ, the humble and exalted Savior. And as I was preparing for this week's message, my intention was to start off by sharing a story of a historical figure who gave up their rights and privileges in order to help others. And I was hoping to find a story of a European king who laid aside what was rightfully his to help those who were below himself. Searching to no avail, I moved on from there. My next trial was to find a more modern, real-life example of one laying themselves low for the sake of others. Struck out there as well. And my main aim in being able to find such a story was to look at that individual's humility and then point us to the reality that our hearts are moved and stirred when we come across such genuine displays of selflessness. And then use that as a launch pad into our text looking at said person as an example of the lesser, and then moving on to Christ, the greater. But after spending way too much time looking for anything that might serve as a very watered-down parallel to that of Jesus' humility, it dawned on me as to both why it's such a struggle to find an account, but also why our hearts are so stirred when we come across these things. It's because they're so rare and so unnatural. The stories that I did find were almost trivial acts of kindness, but those to those that were on the receiving end, it meant the world to them. Small things such as being given a ride when stranded, having a bill paid for when there wasn't enough money, or being fed when hungry. And while I was unable to find the grandiose story that I was looking for, I think that we can still arrive at the proper location, even if it is from a slightly different angle. You see, we're moved by these things even if they're small, because it's so outside of the norm. We expect to see people looking out for number one. We aren't surprised when we witness others climbing over the backs of others to reach the top, and it doesn't shock us when others manipulate the advantages, the advantages that they were given in order to benefit themselves. These things are a part of our everyday lives, and we become used to them. And this is why even seemingly insignificant acts of selflessness can provide us with a long-awaited breath of fresh air. When we see or hear about these deeds, they can cause us to slow down and reflect. They can motivate us towards change. They can fill our hearts with joy. And friends, while I sadly wasn't able to open up our discussion, and hopefully our minds, with an example of an earthly king's humility as a precursor to that of Christ, I hope that we're still able to see and grasp the magnitude of Christ's humility and his subsequent exaltation. And as we've already seen in our Advent series, there has never been, nor will there ever be, in the history of the world, a being who was laid so low from a place so high. Although he, Jesus Christ, existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
death on a cross. You see, Jesus Christ was in very nature God, yet he laid aside his privileges, emptied himself, and took the form of a servant. Down he stepped. And as if this wasn't enough, he stepped even lower. He was made in the likeness of men. He, the creator, came down from heaven to be born and live amongst his creation. He formed us out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into us. And now, too, he has taken on flesh. And he wasn't incarnated as a full-grown man sitting on a throne. No, he was born of a woman as a baby in a barn and was laid in a feeding trough. Down he stepped. But yet, he stooped even, even further. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. How this is possible, our minds will never be able to understand. John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The same Jesus that created life was now going to experience death. But not just any death, death on a cross. Once again, down he stepped. Down to the lowest point that one could ever go. And last week, as Jim taught on this text, he cited the words of Charles Spurgeon. In Spurgeon's sermon entitled, Our Lord in the Valley of Humiliation, he says, What will not Christ do for us who have been given to him by his Father? There is no measure to his love. You cannot comprehend his grace. Oh, how we ought to love him and serve him. The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Blessed be his name, he stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops, lower and deeper yet. God the Son descended from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. He left heaven, became a man, and was crucified on a cross for sins that he did not commit. And friends, we're not gathered here this morning to commemorate the crucifixion of a carpenter. No, we're here to remember the resurrection of our Redeemer. For after he was laid low, he was raised up. And not just back up out of the ground, but to the highest place of all. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so far in our Advent series, we have seen Jesus laying himself low. And today, as we move forward in our text, we will see the God the Father raising him on high. If you haven't turned there already, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Once again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which say, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in verses 5 through 8, we're able to clearly see Jesus' humility being put on display. And now in verses 9 through 11, in subsequence of his humility, we see his exaltation. And this point is laid out for us in the first four English words that we see in our text. For this reason also. Or if you're using a translation other than the NASB, you may only see the word therefore or wherefore. And whichever one you may see, they're all conveying the same message. The things preceding have an effect on the things that will be proceeding. Because Jesus was humble, God exalted him. And what we see here isn't just a pinch or a small amount of exaltation. No, God highly exalted him. As commentator David Garland has stated, his exaltation was to the highest possible degree, to the highest place, which has a superlative sense, not a comparative sense. It's not a promotion to a higher status than before, but the highest possible exaltation. And this, this is where we find Jesus. He's descended to the lowest of lows, and now he has ascended to the highest place of all. Ephesians 1, 20 through 22 spells this out well for us to see. When he, God the Father, raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. God exalted him to the highest place of all, the place of supreme honor and power. And these two aspects of Christ, his honor and his power, are what we will be focusing on in this morning's text. We'll see that they were bestowed to him by God the Father and that they will be recognized and confessed by everyone. We already saw the Father honoring the Son by exalting him to the highest place of all. And as we continue to move along in our passage, we'll see more honor and more power being given to Jesus. Philippians 2.9 says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. See, God the Father conferred, he bestowed, he gave his Son the name which is above every name the name of Jesus. And for those of us that are sitting here this morning, removed from the recipients of Paul's letter by the progression of time and the change of culture, when we hear the name Jesus, we think of the Son of God coming down to earth. But what about those hearing Paul's words some 30 years after Jesus' resurrection? Or what about those people who actually knew and rubbed shoulders with Jesus while he was still here on the earth? Would they have instantly recognized the power and honor that belonged to him from simply just hearing the sound of his name? And the answer is, most likely not. The name for the Son of God that we have come to know and pronounce as Jesus is an English transliteration from Jesus' name in the Greek, which would be pronounced Yeshua. And the name Yeshua is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And as we know from the Old Testament, the name Joshua 
was a fairly common name. It turns out there's actually four different Joshuas found in the Old Testament scriptures. In 1 Samuel, after the Philistines send the Ark of God back to the Israelites, the oxen pulling the Ark arrive in the town of Beth Shemesh and stopping at a field belonging to Joshua, the Beth Shemite. 2 Kings 23.8, there's a Joshua ruling as governor over Jerusalem. In Haggai 1.1, we see that Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, is high priest. And most famously, there's Moses' successor, Joshua, the son of Nun. And as we move on to the New Testament, we can see from a few places in the scriptures, but also other historical records, that the name Yeshua was a very popular name. In an article from Legionnaire Ministries, which was founded by the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, it sheds light to the topic at hand. It reads, For most of us, the name Jesus has a sacred ring to it. It sounds holy and divine. But this wasn't the case when Mary and Joseph followed the angel's instructions and gave their baby his name. Granted, it had a special meaning, but it was not an unusual name. The first century Jewish historian Josephus mentions at least 12 different people he knew with the name of Jesus, including four high priests. In Acts 9, we read of the Jewish false prophet Bar-Jesus. In Colossians 4, Paul mentions one of his fellow workers, Jesus called Justice. In some ancient manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew, refer to the robber leased by Pilate as Jesus Barabbas. Jesus was a common name like Jim, John, or Jerry. So, if the honor and power bestowed to Jesus from the Father do not merely rest in the pronunciation of his name, where is their source? Well, could it be from Jesus' title rather than merely just his name? In verse 11 of our text, we see that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the word Lord is another word that instantly triggers for us thoughts of religion and the Holy Scriptures. But once again, would the mere sounding of the word have done the same for those alive 2,000 years ago? When we, hear the Lord, when we hear the word Lord, we think of God. When they would have heard the Greek word for Lord, they would have understood the actual meaning behind the word itself and then applied it to its contextual use. And rather than only being used in religious circles as it's the case today, the word Lord was used in matters of government, occupation, and personal respect. They would have known that to be Lord over something means that said person is the owner, the master, the possessor or disposer of a person or a thing. And the question on their mind would have been, what is this Lord, Lord over? And as we approach this passage, we need to be asking ourselves this same question. For the honor and power does not simply lie in the sound of one's name, but from what they've accomplished or the authority that has been vested to them. When we hear the last name Carter, we think very little of it. Throwing the title of president in front of it changes things. Not because there's anything special about the name Carter or even the title of president itself, because one gets very little prestige from being the president of their elementary school class but because the title possesses some level of authority, and that authority passes through to the name. So what authority did the Father bestow to Jesus? And the answer is all authority, all of it. God the Father seated Jesus at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, 
and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things in subjection under his feet. Everything and everyone that has ever existed, is existing, and will exist, are under the authority of Jesus. See, Jesus isn't just another Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. He's not just another king. He's the King of Kings. And this authority was conferred to him from his Father. And even though the mass majority has either denied, dismissed, or disregarded this truth, we know that one day everyone will confess that all honor and all power belong to him. Take another look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we look at these verses, depending on your Bible and the keenness of your eyes, you may have noticed the words, every knee will bow, in verse 10, are all capitalized. And this is simply one tool that translators have used to help us know that the biblical author was quoting or referencing from the Old Testament. In this instance, the Apostle Paul was quoting from Isaiah 45, verse 23. And if you turn there in your Bibles or direct your attention to the screen, let's read through verses 20 through 25 of Isaiah 45 for a little bit of context. They say, Gather yourselves and come, draw near together, you fugitives of the nation. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. There's only one God. And as we know, one day, everyone will bow on their knees with their face to the ground when they realize that all honor and all power belong to him. And this isn't just a reference to everyone that will be alive at this time or merely everyone who's already placed their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Albeit, if those in Christ have already bowed the knee of their heart before God, it will be easy and natural to assume this position in his presence. But no, this reference is 100% universal. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. The Apostle Paul makes sure that he goes out of his way to encompass anyone and everyone because he knows that Jesus' name carries with it all authority in this age and the age to come. As Matthew Henry said, at the name of Jesus, not at the sound of the word, but the authority of Jesus, 
all should pay a solemn homage. And when that day comes, there won't be any options, objections, or omissions. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. The time for turning a blind eye, making excuses, and pursuing false gods will be ended. One may have declared lordship to another deity, to a person, a thing, or even themselves, but on their knees in the presence of the God of the universe, all will declare what the creation has been crying out all along. Psalms 19, 1 through 2. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The creation knows who is worthy of of glory and praise. And one day, every tongue will confess this same truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord over all. Lord over this world. Lord over our lives. Lord over our eternity. He is and will always be Lord of Lord and King of Kings. As we've seen from our text this morning, Jesus' exaltation was conferred by the Father. It will be confessed by everyone, and it causes God to receive all of the glory. Take one last look at verses 9 through 11 with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's here at the end of our morning's text where we see the purpose of it all laid out for us. As commentator Dennis Johnson stated, It's here where we glimpse God's purpose in creation and in redemption, reaching its divinely designed destination, his own worship by his own creatures. And this is what it's all about, friends, bringing glory to God. It was the chief purpose for which Christ was sent, and it is our chief purpose as well. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, lifting up his eyes eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. John 17, 1. And in Romans chapter 11, we read, O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, who became his counselor? Or who first gave to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And as we think of these things, we're reminded of the Westminster Shorter Catechism written some 400 years ago. And when it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how about it, church? We have here before us in this text the amazing example of Christ, the humble and exalted Savior. And it's placed here so that the readers of this letter will pattern their lives after that of Christ, looking to Christ so that in humility of mind we might regard one another as more important than ourselves, looking to Christ so that we might not merely look out for our own personal interests, but also 
for the interests of others. This amazing display of the person of Jesus was placed in this text as a model to show the church how to be of the same mind, how to maintain the same love, how to be united in one spirit and intent on one purpose. And we know that this purpose is to worship God, to bring him glory. And friends, as we look to Christ, we once again have all we need in order to worship God. We can be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship reconciled to the God of the universe through the person of Christ. And we also know what attitude we must put on, that of humility. Because we know that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will happen. You will bow and you will confess. So why not do it today? Humble yourselves before the humble Savior and then exalt the exalted one of heaven. Bend your knee, fall to your face in worship before the God of the universe. Bow low and be amazed at his power and his honor. And then give him the honor that he's due. Confess with your tongue that he is Lord. Lord over this world and Lord over you. Confess it. He is Lord. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and uh, just as we're completing our season of Advent, Lord, just uh, looking forward and at the same time remembering the coming of your Son to this world, that we would just uh, pause and slow down from all the craziness that this season brings, and just remember what it's all about. We just remember your Son and the great lengths he took to accomplish salvation for us, that we would just praise you uh, and him for the humility that that he showed, for laying himself low, Lord, for stepping lower and lower and lower, down to our level, and then even lower still in his death on the cross. And Lord, please help us to appreciate that, but at the same time, we know that he didn't remain there, that you exalted him to the highest place of all, and gave him all the authority in this age and the age to come, Lord, and that we would just we would just approach you on bended knee, uh, and we'd recognize and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we'd apply it to ourselves, Lord, that we'd make him Lord over our lives, not just today, not just in this season, but every day for the rest of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.